What happens when we rethink family cycling? Hello and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we explore how circular, regenerative and fair solutions are better for people, planet and prosperity. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting with those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll hear from entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. You'll find the show notes, links and transcripts at circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and our monthly edition of Circular Insights. Welcome to episode 88 of the Circular Economy podcast. Today I'm talking to Alexandra Rico Lloyd, one of the UK's circular economy entrepreneurs, who's passionate about inspiring the next generation to get active and outdoors. Alexandra says there are over 12.5 million unused kids' bikes just in the UK. That spurred her on to create Bike Club back in 2016 to provide a better way to cycle better for the environment, better for parents and their children. Bike Club has revolutionised the traditional model of ownership, aiming to change family cycling forever. It's had over $40 million worth of funding and reached 40,000 cyclists so far. And Bike Club says that makes it the largest micro-mobility network in the UK, larger than Uber and Santander Cycles what we used to call Boris Bikes, in London. Alexandra, who was recently listed in the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, shares the story of how the bike club grew from a self-funded, minimum viable proposition with a few bikes packed into an attic spare room. She explains how it's delivering deeper levels of value for customers and how its collaboration with one of the UK's leading retailers has opened up its next development phase. Alexandra, welcome to the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really keen to understand more about the backstory behind the bike club and all the um, developments along the way. But maybe we could start with what sparked the idea in the first place and why you thought it could work. Ah, yes. Um, So I, I guess... It was really born out of a love for cycling. Um, so myself and my co-founder were really keen cyclists and um, we wanted to get more children cycling. And uh, they're obviously lightweight bikes, very important, um, but they're also very expensive. And so for a parent that makes cycling or good quality cycling quite inaccessible. Um, my co-founder was working in uh, consumer finance and so uh, I guess he, in a way, we bought those. We managed to apply consumer finance to kids' bikes, and and so comes Bike Club, where you pay monthly and exchanges they grow. Mm. And just to make it clear about lightweight bikes, um, for those people who um, perhaps haven't had to buy kids' bikes, we're not talking about super lightweight racing bikes. What's that cycling phrase? Strong, light, cheap. Pick any two. So as bikes have become cheaper, um, they still need to be strong, um, but they've just become really heavy because that's a, that's a lot cheaper to do. And I've picked up kids' bikes before 
and thought that I wouldn't fancy pedaling this up a hill. So I don't know how a sort of, you know, six, seven-year-old's going to do it. Yes, exactly. Like if, if an adult struggles to pick a bike up, how do you expect a child to enjoy riding that piece of mm, equipment? Exactly. So it's all about kind of making it enjoyable and, and um, giving them something that's fit for purpose. So um, when we talked before, you were telling me how you kind of got going with a minimum viable product. So could you unpack that a bit for, for people? Because I think it's really interesting that, um, you know, often starting a new business can seem absolutely overwhelming. So how do you do that without suddenly having to find hundreds of thousands of pounds in capital and so on? So I capital wise, we started with some savings um, and we bought a few bikes uh, I think the first batch we bought 10 bikes and listed them on the website or obviously built a website as well, um, listed them on the website and slowly they all sold um, or they all got rented. And at that point, we then bought like uh, a bike every time someone ordered. Um, so we just grew the fleet like that. Um we took out loans, we remortgaged, um, anything we could do to find a bit more money to buy us some more kids' bikes. I think everyone thought that we were crazy. At one point, we had uh, like 30 children's bikes stacked up in our two-bed flat, um, three floors up in an attic. And um, I don't, like thinking back, I don't think we realized we truly realized what we were building, but it was exciting and it was fun and 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 it grew um, and that's really cool. And did it grow mainly through word of mouth, or were you doing lots of marketing? We were doing um, quite a bit of digital marketing, so we were targeting people through Facebook, and then I think obviously word of mouth um, helped an awful lot. Um, but our kind of first, our first customers, they were early adopters um, to kind of new business models generally, but they were also really keen cyclists and they really understood the, I guess in a way they understood what we were trying to do. They understood the importance of a lightweight bike and they were interested in the environment and sustainability as well. Um, and so those, like some of those early members of ours they are our biggest fans today and actually one of our first 10 members is uh, an investor in in bike club and um yeah that that they're they're fans um and then now i guess once we kind of slowly started moving away from that quite niche customer um that's when we were able to really make an impact on families that wouldn't get cycling otherwise um but we wouldn't have been able to target those customers or members we call them and unless unless we'd grown the bike club and we grew the bike club through um those those fans and those those people that kind of really really understand the model mm. yeah that's interesting that you kind of started with the people who perhaps were almost already on board and just looking for something that would fill that gap but now you're moving into the more mainstream market. So maybe you could um, talk a little bit about what the offer includes, you know, what what are the 
age ranges of of bikes that you um that you provide um and how does it work from a customer point of view so we um we offer bikes from naught but i mean no one gets a baby <laughs> cycling a bike but uh, you, you can theoretically put a a child on a balanced bike as soon as they can walk um and it's actually really useful just to have them kind of hanging around so that they get familiar with with the bike um and it's not such a daunting piece of equipment uh when they do come to ride it um and they kind of naturally play around with it they look at the handlebars they might try getting on it and 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 that's that's how they get started that's that's the kind of that's the best way to teach a child to ride um by making it fun for them. Uh, so we accommodate naught to 11 to 13, um, kind of when when they go through that massive growth spurt and become an adult, that's that's when they move on to the the, the bigger bikes. But we, we do have like teen bikes, so to speak. Right, so you've got those as well. And then you lease them or rent them to customers. How does How does that work? Yeah, so as a, as a parent, uh, you need a bike for your child um, and you know that they're going to grow, but you don't know exactly when they're going to grow. I think that's the biggest pain point sometimes for parents is that, yes, they might have just gone through a growth spurt, but there might be another one around the corner. Um, and so you come to Bike Club um, because you want to get a bike for them and you go on the website and you order a bike. We've got a nice bike finder. Um, so you can input their details and we'll tell you the perfect bike for them. And um, a few days later, you'll have a bike turn up at your door. Um, so we deliver. Uh, you don't need to come and collect. Um, we will deliver to you um, and you enjoy the bike. And you'll, you'll pay monthly. And then when you come to exchange, you'll basically go through that same process, input their details, we'll tell you what bike to exchange to and um then they get a new bike to their door and we the courier takes away the old one it's it's really it's really as simple as that um a doorstep exchange and do the bikes come back in reasonable condition you know as you would expect if somebody owned the bike and had sold it or is is that a bit of a risk for you So if you go back to the start, and I know a lot of the conversations you have are around how how people can get into the circular economy. I think that's one of the biggest fears that people have. What condition is it going to come back in? Is it going to, you know, is it going to be ruined? Is this actually a viable business model? Um, And and we, we had the same concerns, I guess, when we started. But what we found after a period of time is that the bikes came back in relatively good condition. Yes, there's fair wear and tear, um, but there's nothing, that's nothing that our mechanics can't fix. And what, what is really nice is that because those bikes come back to us fairly often and fairly regularly, and they're fully serviced by our mechanics, those bikes are actually being really well looked after. And as a result, their lifespan increases because they're not sat for years rotted away in a shed um they're they're actually kind of being well used well looked after and well refurbished i it's also a bit of a concern for customers themselves um so members will regularly be a bit worried like 
are you going to charge me for this? Um, and as much as we tell them, look, don't worry, we don't usually charge much. It's fine. We accept normal wear and tear. It's it's still it is still a concern for a lot of families that they might get charged. There will be it's too good to be true. There will be some hidden fees somewhere. Um, and so what we do offer is we offer Bike Club Plus, um, which is is insurance to to give you peace of mind. Um, and it's an extra kind of small payment per month. I think it's two pounds per month, um, and that just gives you peace of mind that all charges or all fees will be kind of covered when you return the bike to us. Um, there are some bikes that come back particularly damaged. I, I actually love it when a bike comes back really dirty because you can tell that they've had a lot of fun. Um, but the, the funniest, the funniest damage story, I guess, of mine is um, when a bike came back and the saddle had clearly been eaten by a dog. <laughs> so yes obviously we do still get damage but it's not it's not that often yeah i guess people have got it got the um car rental stories in mind that you read in the weekend papers about um you know how somebody didn't take a didn't take photographs of every single inch of of the car and then got billed with something that they're certain wasn't damaged when they um sent it back um, so what else is different about the bike club versus buying a bike? I think, so one thing that, I mean, I care quite passionately about is the fact that we've really moved into this family cycling space that was never really, um, never really kind of looked at before. And so as a parent, if you go uh, to get your child a bike, you will either go to a local bike shop or you'll end up at um, Halfords um, and you'll end up talking to either an, a bike enthusiast who actually doesn't really care that much about children's bikes. He cares about the adult bikes that he's riding on the weekends. Um, so you'll end up talking to a bike enthusiast or you'll end up, and that's quite intimidating, or you'll end up talking to someone who's got that as a Saturday job and actually they don't have a clue about a bike and they probably can't ride one themselves. Um, and so that's either really intimidating or really useless. And as a parent, what you really need is you need someone that understands kids' bikes, understands family cycling, is able to give you a little bit of advice on kind of increasing their confidence or how to get started. Um, how often are they going to need a new bike? Um, all, the, all, those, all those questions that you have specifically as a parent. Um, and that's what we found we were able to offer. We weren't just offering bikes on subscription. We were able to offer like a real service to our members um, because that's all, that's all we do. And so everyone that works for us, everyone that you talk to, cares about getting children and families cycling and outdoors um, and that's been really special that we've been able to offer that to people yeah that sounds like a, a really good way to get people over those those hurdles and yeah I can imagine that that um, is a real bonus for people and and uh, you know particularly helps the kids to get something that's going to work for them as well so um, you, you've grown relatively quickly um, and then came a big development with John Lewis. 
Yes, so that's um, probably a year ago now. Um, actually, we uh, took a uh, took some space in John Lewis for Christmas last year. Um, so that was a, a three month trial for the festive season, and John Lewis. Uh, I, I I think what they're doing with the circular economy is is really is really nice and really interesting. That they're, they're really supporting businesses like ours, um, and they want to. Uh, make business more sustainable I guess um, and so they're really looking for opportunities uh, to partner with other businesses um, but what what they were also doing is they had kind of redone um, the Stratford store and they were looking to kind of make it a little bit more experiential and that's where putting bikes in the stores looked quite attractive um and i i really i really like that idea that some, our members are now able to go into a store and touch and feel a bike and the children is able the child is able to kind of just get on that bike and just pedal on rollers um and that's that's really fun like seeing that in action is really really fun um and i i love that uh i love that we've kind of put cycling into a, a new space um children's bikes were not in department stores before but they are now and i think it really makes sense because as a parent when you go to get a cot or a pram for your newborn baby you will more often than not go to john lewis um <laughs> and you, you'll go to the nursery department because you're you know that you're going to find someone that is able to give you a lot of advice on what cot or what car seat is going to be best for you. Um, and so it makes sense that the natural next step is when your child is slightly older, you go into John Lewis to get advice on how to get them cycling. Yeah, it's definitely seen as a place where you can get lots of useful advice that's not all about selling you the, the next thing. Um, so I think those kind of, uh, you know, the the ethos of, of the of the store um, and the company is it fits really well, doesn't it, with circular economy and doing things in in different ways that offer more value to customers. And so, um, you know, has, has that really fueled growth in subscriptions and so on? Being being in John Lewis and and what's happened since then? Have you had to kind of scale to another level? That's a really interesting question that because I guess in a way that was always that was part of our marketing plan right so it it wasn't it it wasn't this kind of overnight success thing uh with suddenly loads and loads of orders like John Lewis never did that for us um but for us it was it's revolutionary to have kids bikes in department stores. And so there was obviously an element of that. It wasn't pure marketing. It wasn't a pure marketing ploy for, for us. Like it, it made a lot of sense. Um, but also it's really increased awareness and credibility just by partnering with John Lewis and have to have that recognition. It makes us a lot more trustworthy and a lot more credible to families. Um, and so, whereas it hasn't, you know, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't say that being in John Lewis or being on John Lewis's website, which um, is is what happened more recently, um, has 
drastically increased sales but it, it had it has made us really grow up as a business I guess. Mm. And I guess that credibility translates across to potential suppliers as well. Has it made a difference there in terms of bike brands taking you more seriously and that kind of thing? I guess we're, we're, we're quite a, uh, we're in high demand. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, we, we've, we've expanded our, um, we've expanded our, our range of brands as well. Um, that's a nice thing that scale has enabled us to do because at the beginning we really wanted to only really offer one brand so that it was easier for us when they came through, um, our warehouse and, now that we are a little bit more grown up and we've got proper facilities, uh, we're able to offer uh, more brands, which is uh, a kind of a good way to offer variety to, to the consumer. Um, but we really, if we'd tried doing that from the beginning, it, I think it would have just been disastrous because it would have been too, too heavy on the operations. Uh, you've kind of got to kind of got to tackle one problem at once and obviously when you're built when you're building a business there's loads loads of problems but um it i think being streamlined in the beginning was was very beneficial to, to our growth mm. yeah it sounds like you've got some really sensible strategies for um you know um walking before you run and so on i was trying to find a bike analogy there but it <laughs> wasn't wasn't <laughs> wasn't coming coming up but um, you know, are you providing feedback to your suppliers in terms of the kinds of components that are wearing well and what's what's not working? Um, how how does that pan out? Yes, um, uh, and that's uh, the fact that we we are now doing that is is really nice because I, I guess that's um, that's the the true circular economy, right? Where you, where, where you actually learn from. Um, you, you learn from what's going on and you're able to make um, changes. So as an example, uh, we are, we, we kind of learn from when bikes come back to us, like what elements and what components of the bike get more wear and tear. Um, and we are able to kind of feedback that, feedback that um, to our suppliers and they are able to then know that either they need to work on making that particular component more sustainable or make it more durable so that it lasts longer. And obviously this, again, is not going to be an overnight change, but we are also working with um, one supplier in particular to build a, a bike club bike. Um, and so that it has, it, it is like the, the ultimate bike club bike in a way um and it's it is really nice that we are now at a scale um where we are able to do that mm, that sounds like it could be transformational so look forward to um seeing more about that when it when it emerges and alexandra in the process of of building the business so far sounds like you've had lots of challenges to overcome and so on but what have you struggled with and what surprised you in the process of doing that Oh, so many, so many challenges. I've I've always really, really cared about our members. And so I think some of the biggest some of the biggest challenges to me were 
I guess more mental challenges when I realized that we weren't quite offering the product that they wanted or we didn't offer the service or we missed delivery for someone's birthday um and you I guess you might think that that doesn't actually affect or no one no one really cares right when you complain to a company no one cares but I it that that really wasn't the case for us um up until a year ago I read every single message that came into us on live chat um just to kind of get so that I always had an overview and I knew what was going on and so yes I did hear about kids birthdays being missed and um because the delivery didn't happen how it was meant to um and that that hurts because there's there's a failure that's happened somewhere in there um for, for, for that to happen um I guess that's a really kind of simple example but there's so many other examples where we haven't we haven't quite hit the mark um and and that's been that's just been quite challenging for me but what is nice is that our our team also really care um and so they work late if they need to uh, over Christmas periods and they will log in on Christmas day just to check that everything's going okay. Um, and that I, I guess that, that really shows that they really care about what, what we're doing as well. Mm. Yeah. That sounds, sounds really kind of uh, encouraging, you know, as you're going through those tough times and thinking, well, you know, how, how can we sort this, this, um, particular issue out so it never goes wrong again but to know that your team are really wanting to help the business succeed and go in the extra mile is it sounds really encouraging and if you were talking to a, another business thinking about going circular or starting something circular what would be the top tip that you'd share with them what would be that your number one piece of advice this is probably going to sound really cliche but think big but start small because you need to to be able to make big changes you need to get there and you're not you're not going to get there without kind of starting small um making small changes and adjustments to the way that you're doing things listen to feedback as well um uh, a lot of where we're at today is not because we're fantastic at business it's because we listen to our members and actually uh our, our members in in a way knew, knew knew what product the world needed um we we didn't define that and say this is what we're going to go out with and we're going to go big and um we just started small and humble and listened listened to feedback as we went along that's really interesting that you know your customers the members kind of already knew what they what they needed and I wonder how many other elements of of um uh you know business and and um consumer goods and so on that applies to where there are big groups of people who want things to change but don't have any way of of getting what they want you know we're, we're seeing similar things with packaging and so on that people don't value plastic in packaging and want something different want reusable packaging 
um, you know, want better packaging and are frustrated by the lack of options. So I think that's that's really interesting feedback and, and could be very useful for lots of existing businesses, not just startups. Yeah, it's it's um I I guess that's one of the benefits of being a startup, right? Um you you don't have all the red tape and bureaucracy um that stops you from innovating. And you can be agile and flexible and respond um to the demands from the consumer. Um I and bigger companies struggle with that because they do have red tape and they do have processes set processes and um that's why we need new companies that's why we need more people in the circular economy we need more people thinking about reusable packaging and um uh and and that's how we can really make a big difference Mm. yeah it's surprising isn't it how many big companies say that they want innovation but actually what they end up going for is incremental change and what we need now more than ever is different ways of thinking, isn't it? So, Alexandra, who would you recommend as a future guest for the programme? What's impressed you in the world of the circular economy? Uh, so I'd recommend Georgie, who founded Rotaro. Uh, they are a luxury fashion rental service. Um, and Georgie is, Georgie is really cool. Um, and she's doing fantastic things in the in the rental clothing industry. Um Great. Well, I'll um, catch up with you afterwards to get George's details. That sounds sounds like an interesting interview. And if you could make wave a magic wand and change one thing to help create a better world overnight, what would that be and why? <laughs> wow, that is that is a big question. If, it can wave a, if you could wave a magic wand, um, oh, I'd I'd make I'd make flying. Uh, more eco-friendly because i i i love i love the world i love different cultures i love experiencing different cultures i think um uh, you know having a global economy is really beneficial and we need to travel but traveling is just not very eco-friendly um so i yeah i i i i love to be able to travel in a sustainable way Mm, yeah good one thank you and how how can people find out more and get in touch with you and the bike club um so the bike club is uh you can find at bikeclub.com uh very nice and simple and um myself i'm on i'm on linkedin i'm fairly active on linkedin i'm alexandra rico lloyd great and we'll put those links in the show notes so people can find you afterwards Thank you very much, Alexandra. That was really interesting. And I'm fascinated to see what's going to happen next with the bike club and, um, you know, start seeing it going going mainstream all around the country and and uh, changing the way that people think about kids' bikes as well. I think it's just a, a much more sensible way to go than buying all those cheap, heavy bikes that put people off cycling instead of encouraging them to, um, you know, gain their independence and be able to uh, cycle off to their friend's house and so on. So thank you very much and good luck with the next phase. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you. Thinking about this from a startup perspective and how best to get some momentum, Alexandra suggests starting with the people who are already looking for something like this, the early adopters, who may become your biggest fans, 
might do some of your marketing through word of mouth and give you useful feedback so you can evolve to a stage where you're appealing to a wider audience. I found it interesting that, despite all the bike club's assurances that wear and tear on the bikes was expected and acceptable, people still worried they'd have to pay extra for damage. Providing an optional, low-cost insurance subscription seems a good way to overcome that concern. For the circular economy in general, Bike Club's collaboration with retailer John Lewis is especially encouraging. Those of you outside the UK may not know that John Lewis is a leading omnichannel retailer for a wide range of home and clothing categories, and it's also the UK's largest employee-owned business. John Lewis seems to be moving towards circular models in a number of areas, for example, partnering with children's clothing rental business, The Little Loop. I interviewed The Little Loop's founder, Charlotte Morley, in episode 65. I loved Alexandra's advice to think big but start small. It's a great tip for both startups and existing businesses wanting to go circular. By setting a clear, ambitious and fit for the future long-term vision and then working back from that to form an action plan, you can break the process down into small steps, reduce risks and then tweak things along the way. In my mountain biking days, I used to build and rebuild my own bikes even down to the wheels. A while back, I wrote a blog about designing bicycles for a circular economy, and you'll find the link to that in the show notes. I'm supporting the United Nations Circular Economy Open Course again this year, and the first webinar seemed to generate lots of interest and great questions. Former podcast guest Brian Bauer of reusable packaging company Algramo told the fascinating backstory of Algramo, helping to solve what its founder described as a poverty tax, and how it's now partnering with big brands and retailers in more countries, and using interesting approaches like gamification to engage more people. My brief was to ask whether circular equals sustainable, and I talked about some of the false solutions I'm seeing, and the unintended consequences that can undermine the sustainability benefits of circular solutions. So there you go, another episode of the Circular Economy podcast. Thank you to our guest this week, Alexandra Rico-Lloyd. You can find out more about Alexandra and the Bike Club and check out all the other links we mentioned in the show notes at circulareconomypodcast.com. I believe we can all help make the circular economy happen through the choices we make at work and in our everyday lives. Buying pre-used, keeping what we have for longer, repairing it, and making sure it has another life. Those choices send strong signals to companies and governments, making it clear we all want a better, circular and regenerative future. We can all help spread the word too. Talk about the circular economy and help other people find this podcast by leaving us a rating and a review on your podcast app. Email a screenshot of your review to podcast at rethinkglobal.info and we'll give you a shout out on the show. We've made it easier for you to find episodes on the key circular economy strategies or for a market sector or specific countries. Check out our interactive podcast index. There's a link on the podcast homepage at circulareconomypodcast.com 
and every episode includes an interview transcript. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one and two, or buy a copy of my award-winning book, A Circular Economy Handbook, How to Build a More Resilient, Competitive and Sustainable Business. It takes you through the concepts and practicalities, with hundreds of real examples from all around the world. The Circular Economy podcast is brought to you by Rethink Global, helping you succeed with circular. You can find information on our talks, workshops, coaching and advice, and Circular Economy resources at rethinkglobal.info or connect with me, Catherine Wheatman, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.